We thank you particularly for our brother Rusty who's here to lead us and share with us today. Will you bless him, we pray. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. Flip this board around here. If I can. Good morning. I saw um, Malone and Charlotte on the way in this morning. I said, I can't believe you guys are coming back. Uh, Malone said, we're long suffering. <laughs> so uh, I, um, I, I appreciate y'all being long suffering. How many were here last week when we were together? It was a crew for sure, right? And um, and then how many uh, how many were at job networking on Monday night? Right, a big group. Big. Gosh, I didn't know that many. But it's a big group. You guys support it so well. That was really a special time as well. And uh, in a minute, I'm going to just tell you one thing that happened there after I after uh, I climbed down off the stage on Monday night, or we're we're going to share on that in just a minute. But um, it is uh, it's been fun. A lot's happened since we left. Let me tell you one of the things that uh, that happened was uh, after Sunday school last week, I heard a bunch of stories. It was really cool. People came up to me and started telling me some stories, and they were so fun to hear and uh, so right spot on accurate. It was really fun. And uh, and then something else happened, and it it's kind of interesting. It's worth sharing as we get ready today. And, uh, and uh, my good friend Judy told me and said, you know, Rusty, storytelling doesn't always have a great connotation. You know, storytelling sounds a little bit like fibbing, you know what I mean, or stretching, okay? You know, it's like stretching. So in our society, storytelling doesn't have that same kind of uh, cultural respect that it does in many, frankly, most societies. Uh, I don't know if you know, but we're in the minority in that, okay? In the Western society, we're all about measurement. In fact, uh, it's a whole different story uh, to talk about, but I get uh, get a chance to speak on leadership some. And, um, I, well, I'll just tell you this part. I'm, I never know what I'm going to say. I didn't know I was going to say this. But uh, <laughs> do you know that leadership is only a required course for, for, um, uh, for, collegi- uh, for college students in four universities? in the United States. You know it used to be a required course to graduate in every university in the country. It's only in four. The three military academies and Citadel. Okay? Now you can get it, you can take it. Now the reason is because it's very difficult to teach leadership and measure the results. Right? And so what happened is in our uh, in the 60s, late in the 60s, in our university system, we came, became obsessed on measurement. And we're obsessed as a society on measurement. Everything's got to be, we got to know how many ticks and clicks and where people live and how they did and how many times. How many times have you come to church and ignored the message? Okay. <laughs> we want to get that number down. Okay. You following? So um, what happens about that, though, that we have to know is God is the great storyteller, and as we look through the Bible, and it's so funny. You know how, I'm interrupting myself again. You know how we're wired? We each wired a certain way, and God wired us a certain way? Well, he wired my wife and I cross-wired, okay? <laughs> we are cross-wired, right? So we'll, we'll, you know, I'll tell a story, and she cannot hear the story until she hears the facts. Have you all ever had that? 
Like I'll say, okay, a few years ago we were with some friends, and she goes, it was a lot more than a few years ago, honey. It was 12 years ago, and you know, the Williams and the Wilsons, they were friends with that other couple we didn't even know. You know? I'm like, I'm not talking about that. <laughs> we crossed with Danny the guard this morning, and he was telling us that a friend of his had to go to a funeral in Texas, and he had to drive, and Danny says, well, I'll just drive with you. So they're driving, and Nam's going, well, when did y'all go? <laughs> My friend was this. Where was he? Where did y'all go? Was it Dallas or north of Dallas? Okay? I mean, but she hears through those facts, and I'm having fun with her, but a lot of us are that way. And we're going to learn in storytelling. We have to know, actually, in the, to some of the people we're sharing with how they hear. Otherwise, they don't hear the, the truth. Now, the Bible, interestingly enough, you know, there's a number of times it says these six things, and it lists seven. Okay, right? I mean, you know, and that's what all the atheists all try to argue is the reason. It talks about the sun rising in the east, and now we're brilliant. We know the world's not square, and that the earth rotates. That's how smart we are. It took a couple thousand years to figure that out. Okay, but you follow me? The story, the truth is in the story. The truth is the life change in the story. Now, the interesting thing... When God comes along in Jesus and gets here, he just forgets all that, and he says, there was a man, there was a woman. He just starts telling a story. You follow me? So he doesn't let us get wound up in that. But in our, um, as we talk about storytelling, it's important for us to know that different people hear different ways and do different things and listen different ways, right? So, um, so then just kind of move forward just a little bit, and we'll go back and recount a little bit. So we're together Monday night. Now, tell me what about uh, your buddy you introduced me to. Uh, yes, it was uh, Reggie McNutt. First time he's been to Boise. First time he's been to Boise. And the son um, passed away. And uh, I haven't talked to Russ since. I think uh, uh daughter, uh, part of this course, uh, I think it was twins, and that's two of you. Met, met that night. Right. Right. You were together. Right. You were speaking, he arrived. And so you brought him up and introduced him to me, and that was part of the introduction was, it was, this is not a coincidence. So he's been invited a number of times, and that was the first time. And those that were at Job Networking, remember one of the stories I told was about my daughter, remember, and that she was a pediatric oncologist. His son was a high school student, lacrosse player, became cancer-free when he was a freshman. It recurred when he was a junior, and he passed very quickly, a lacrosse player, very sad thing. And yes, my daughter, we haven't taught, but my daughter did attend to him, which uh, he had remembered. She wasn't his patient, but she was drawn to him and spent some time with him. That freed him to tell me, and if you remember last week, we talked about um, story-making, remember? And we, I figured out that's one of the things that really makes Malone special as he gets out and makes stories, and that's what we're going to talk about today. <laughs> right? And then this thing that I talked about a little bit that's a spiritual, what I call a spiritual marker. And a spiritual marker is what you hear the disciples talk about a lot of times. They tell their stories, and this thing happened, and that, that was significant in their life. It was a God moment. You could question, did it happen that way, but they didn't question it, and they could tell. Well, he told the story. One of the things he was just dying to tell me is when he came home, they were praying, of course, and his son had an accountability group, and they would pray. And, of course, he wanted a long life. And uh, his son was heavily um, uh, under morphine, okay? And it makes you kind of, I mean, you're really groggy, and you don't make sense. And, 
and you know they're trying to keep the pain down and stuff. And he he was brought home at this point uh, as his last days. I mean that's what he was home for the last time. And he said that he would break into prayer with his friend, and he would become crystal clear. No stutter, no slobbering, just crystal clear. And he said, you were hearing the Bible. He would just recite. He would speak. He would talk to the Lord. He saw two roads. He made it very clear he'd like to take the road that had the 80 years here on earth with it, but whatever needed to be done. Now, in his life, in his life, that's a spiritual marker. He never forgets that. Obviously, it's his son, but he realizes that in that place in life, God is there, and he can do those kind of things. You follow me? So when he tells me, I was outrageously encouraged by it. And, you know, we were all encouraged by it. Well, there were others that happened that very night. So that's the way it works, okay? And today we're going to explore a little bit more about it working and how, if I get to it. <laughs> um, last time I told you I dropped a book here. You guys did a good job. I don't think anybody ratted me out to Julie. Okay? <laughs> so I, I appreciate that very much. I think either um, either God's getting his way or having fun because this week it's supposed to be on the passion of the harvest. And in some ways that's what we're talking about today. Now we will talk about it a little bit differently. Then, uh, <laughs> then they talk about it. <laughs> but we will talk about it nevertheless, a little bit about the passion of the harvest. You know, uh, I always say I helped start these um, uh, Bible studies with a high-tech ministry, and we'll get to that in a minute. But I always say that we have theology and weology, you know, and some of the theology we can talk about is how the, the you know, they think that God thought, and therefore the way that they should think is, is theology, and there's a lot of Bible studies around that. Man, my group, we believe a little more in weology, is that when we read it, what would what should we do? What ought we do, right? So we're going to talk much more on the practical weology side of this today, okay? So anyhow, we're talking about spiritual markers. Let me just see where I might be. I think I left you at Possum Holler Flats. With some well-fed ladies getting tired, holding their hands up, me yelling, yes, 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 yes. Do you remember that? So, okay, so that is my story, right? That's where I was saved by grace. That's where my story starts, okay? God saved me by grace, and at that point, he totally committed to me. Now, he was committed to me before, but he sent his grace. I was under conviction, and I said yes. Right? Yes, yes, yes. Well, as it turns out, that was a little bit more like yes for now. <laughs> right? I mean, I was, yeah, and I'm in it now. I'm in it. It was yes, it was yes, it was yes, okay? And that was the grace, and that's the day I reserved my place in heaven as my eternity, okay? However, I didn't quite toe that line that, uh, that might be. Now, some people make and, and hopefully you did. Some people, God becomes their Lord and Savior on the same day. I've always felt like we had that backwards, that that should say Savior and Lord, okay? Because for some of us, it's two different times. He becomes our Savior on one day, but there's a different place in our life when he becomes our Lord, okay? And for me, that was a different place. I made it all the way through college, not without some challenges, 
got into my early career, and uh, if I've told you this, I, I hate to bore you with it again, but got in, got into technology in my career, was definitely a self-made man, you know, came out of this, off this end of this dirt road out in Oklahoma and got all that going on. Well, guess what? Uh, started my own business, uh, started one of these, uh, a business called Peachtree Software a long time ago. Some of y'all might know, four or five other guys. We got that going, started another business, and uh, after 10 years, I became an overnight success. Okay, and, uh, the, but in those ten years, it took everything. I mean, it took everything. I owed everybody I knew. I mean, I had gotten all the money. I was bankrupt for about seven or eight of those years. But in those days, they didn't know what to do about software companies that were bankrupt because we didn't have anything except a diskette. <laughs> I mean, you know, we didn't have real estate. We didn't have anything they could take back, so the bank didn't want to look bad. So. It was a it was a challenging time, and in that time we started having our family, and I began my slow abandonment of my family. Okay, if, uh, now none of y'all have ever done that or know anyone that's done that, but it works. You have the baby, you dote over the baby, etc. They go home, you go back to work. Okay, I'll tell you how good a guy. Some of y'all think I was, I'm a good guy. I'll tell you how good a guy I am. When our second child was born, my wife was in the hospital. To start with, I almost didn't let her in there. The guy calls me and he goes. Uh, he goes, Mr. Gordon, I gotta to talk to you. He's from the hospital. He said, uh, we have a problem. And I said, really? And he said, yeah. He said, are you expecting a normal birth? I said, well, that's the silliest question I've ever heard. He said, well, you don't have any insurance, you know, and we need to know if you're expecting a normal birth. And I said, well, I don't expect y'all to, to pay y'all extra to screw it up. <laughs> and he died laughing. I mean, he's been doing, he said, I've been doing this three years. He, it took ten minutes, five minutes for him to catch himself. He said, that is a stupid question, isn't it? And I said, it's about a stupid question I've heard today. Okay. So he said, okay, no problem. So my wife goes in, has our second child, Blake, our son, who's now 32. And... Um, and we had a problem because I couldn't get her out of the hospital. I didn't have money to get her out of the hospital. <laughs> and uh, they wouldn't let her go until we paid the bill. Okay? It was a real problem. So I actually am at work trying to sell a guy a computer, and I sent my partner to the hospital. And my partner went to the hospital and uh, talked him into letting him take my wife and my son home. Okay. What a guy. Yeah. What a guy. <laughs> 32 years. I hear about it every week. <laughs> but you know, I got perplexed because I had a different Lord than I had a, than I had a Savior. And it wasn't working. And it didn't work. And I, I, I had more trouble. I was committed, you know. Now, I started turning back and at least paying attention to my family, kind of abandoned my wife. And, I mean, the fact that we've been together 36 years, I cannot believe she's hung in there. I just don't get it, okay? But uh, but it's that cross-wiring, all right? I mean, it's just been awesome. But but um, I start trying to be a, a better guy. God's working on me some, bringing me back to the fold. But my day for the Lord to become my Savior was different. My day was actually the day I sold my business. And oh my goodness, I sold my business finally after 10 years, right? I got a third of it kind of stolen in the last 90 days by the venture capitalists I was working with. 
but still yet, I had enough to pay back the people I owed. And then it was not like I made a lot of money, but I kind of made the money I would have made if I had worked a regular job and not put up with all that nonsense for 10 years. You know what I mean? But I made, but it all came in one check. I probably wouldn't have saved it. So I was in a better position I'd been. And the day we closed, you know, the announcement was going to hit. They're going to put it out on the press and the technology thing at 5 o'clock. We get it all done in the morning at noon. So at 1 o'clock, I'm in my office, and I am a basket case. And what happens is I had not only abandoned my family. I didn't have time for my friends. I wasn't playing my tennis. I didn't have time for my friends. You know, I was the passing guy at church. I got here every chance I could, which wasn't that often. She was here without him before. I did had started getting involved a little bit. <clears throat> I didn't like the people I was hanging out with. The guys that had just made money had just stole a third of my business. They wanted me to go in business with them. Okay? <laughs> my friends weren't calling because they hadn't been around them. My life stunk. I mean, stunk to the point of I'm like, what am I doing? Why am I here? I don't even know why I'm here. And um, it, it, I wasn't suicidal, but I wouldn't have been upset. You follow that? I mean, that's how low I was. It was the bottom pit of the bottom pit. Had a guy at work for me. I paid him every now and then. Good friend of mine goes to church here, Terry McLean. And uh, Terry would come in every morning. I'd get to work by no later than 6.30. Terry beat me there. He's reading his Bible. Said very little to me about it over time. We talked about it some. But he would read his Bible, and we'd, we'd talk, and we'd go through these words. <clears throat> and I remembered that. I had my Bible in my office. So I opened my Bible that afternoon. I started reading it a little bit. And then I got down on my knee in my chair, in the little leather chair, at my office, and said, and you shouldn't do this. This is the weology. I said, God, this sucks. I do not want to live this way. This is ridiculous. I have screwed this up. Okay? I have messed this up in the world's worst way. And he, to him, it was real clear. It just invaded my soul. Well, I'm not your Lord. What are you doing talking to me? You know? And so I said the prayer, I think, to change his life. I said, Lord, I, if you will have me, I will try to follow you. But let's be clear, it ain't going to work. <laughs> I'm not going to be able to do it. I know I can't do it. If you live with that disappointment, Lord, but if you'll give me direction, I'll try to follow you. That's all I know, and I'll try to learn more about you, and I'll try to follow you. I would like to make you my Lord. And life changed for me at that particular moment. Now, it's, it's all crazy. I won't wave you through the whole thing. We'll save that for some other time. This church was critical in that. I mean, who you know, one week later, Sally Dallin calls me and says, Will you join the Disciple Bible Study? So I don't this last week, I was on my knees, crying my eyes out, right? Had to get myself cleaned up just to get my picture taken a little bit later. But to me, that's pretty clear, the Lord was. And I was like, well, Sally, sure, I'd like to do that. Uh, tell me a little bit more about it, you know, when when she's going to meet. And she says, well, it's it's 36 weeks. I said, no, no, what are you nuts? <laughs> Sally, you know me, what are you nuts? You're crazy, I can't make 36 weeks. I'll never do that. And she goes, I said, well, but I tell you what, I'll make which ones I can. It's probably better than nothing. She goes, no, Rusty, it doesn't work. If you miss more than two, we don't want you. And I was like, Sally, that's not going to happen. She goes, Rusty, you ask how long it was. I didn't tell you. I didn't ask you. I want you to go to three. Go to three of them, okay? Just go to the first three, right? And then drop out. It's not 
ringing your bell. Well, that story explodes. I'm going to leave that story there, but I went to the first three, okay? And I went to 35 of the 36. I think it's, is it 36 or 32? 32. 32. Look here. 34. <laughs> Got to get the facts right. I know I lost a bunch of y'all. I knew it. <laughs> 34. So I went to 33 of the 34. And the one I missed is one of the most important nights in my life. I'll come back and tell you that story someday, okay? Because uh, I got called out on a public forum about my faith, and it became one of the most important nights of my life. And and the Lord led me to that night. So that is kind of, if you see, go through. So here's one thing I want to say, is, is that, you know, God becomes our Savior, and the stories are all about us, right? But he becomes our Lord, and this is certainly the Holy Spirit at work doing this. And at this time, I actually submit to him. Now, if you remember, I'm yelling yes over here, right? And they're wanting me to repeat the four spiritual laws, right? And then they want me to confess my sins appropriately, you know, go right through my whole deal, you know, declare. Because otherwise, they're not really sure I'm going to be there, right? We're in the Assembly of God Church, and, and, you know, we're not really sure. But God knows what my problem is. It's that I'll, I'll take His grace, but I'm not going to submit my life. I'm going... It's, you know, it's almost 14 years later. But at this point, I said, I will follow you, and I will try to follow you. And I have tried to follow him. And I have done better some days than others, and I've fallen some days than others. And he's always been there. And he's been leading me and calling me. And I don't go far without a lead or a call. And thanks to this church, I get called all the time. <laughs> okay? But this is a little bit different. Now, let's look what happens. If you start doing that... And this is the key to today's discussion. Your stories really become about others, right? This is my story, and this one's about me. But when the Holy Spirit comes and the Lord becomes my Lord, my goodness, God's got a passion for the harvest. (laughs) I mean, he has got a ripping, telling passion for the harvest. So the question for you today, with a question for me, but the question for you today is whose story are you in? Right? God's in your story. We got that from last week. But whose stories are you in? And I want you to think for just a second. Now, some of you, your mind's just going to start flooding. Right? And others, a little bit drier. You got all these stories about God in your life. Right? Now, my question starts being, whose stories? I just want to, I want, and I want some of those pictures to come to your mind. Some of you guys got, you got a catalog ripping through your mind. Right? God wants you and other people's stories, desperately, okay? You know, me and my daughter are now in our buddy's story, just a little bit, right? Now, of course, what do I get back? I get back this fact that my daughter was with this man at the most important time of his life, in this young man's life. There's no question that she talked about Jesus. Not that he needed it, just that she did. What a deal. What a blessing I get back out of that. I get the blessing that he happened to show up on the night that I tell a story about my daughter, right? But that's not the point. We're now in his story. Are you guys closing your mind? I mean, eyes and thinking about stories. I want to talk about being more intentional about that, okay? Many of us, I accepted Christ when I was 16. Possum all flash on my knee, just yes, yes, right? Many of y'all accepted Christ at 16 or before, okay? But of your friends that don't know Christ, 
And of the people that you teach that have friends that don't know Christ, most of them are dealing with adults, <laughs> as it turns out, right? Yeah. Most of your friends are adults, right? So most of the people that God calls us to for our harvest, for his harvest through us, are adults, okay? I thought you might be, because we are so factual, you might want to know some of the facts, okay? So how adults accept Christ, ready? 5% through a church program or event, you know, like a revival, which we like, okay? So 5% for that. 5%, now these are rough, okay? <laughs> so if y'all go, you go to Billy Graham, Billy Graham did this big study, evangelist, so these are adding a couple things together. So just give me four to six on these, all right? Because it's easier for me to remember. So 5% through a church program or event. 5% actually go to the church because God, they feel God has sent them. Their lives are falling apart. Uh, many of them, this church is awesome. Many of them come for the health programs, right? So 5%, and I would say we probably get a significant number of people that accept Christ as a health program, okay? 5% through the pastor's preaching. Now, maybe we've been a little overly blessed, got a better pastor, so maybe we get seven. But are you following me on this? Okay. You following me? So 5%. That only leaves us 85%. 85% through a friend or a family member. 85% of the people that accept Christ after 21 are going to accept it because a friend or a family member witnessed directly to them. So is it hard to say what our church and all churches should be about? It's making folks like this. Now let me just lay that together with you, okay, to show you that I've had a chance to see that happen. So I'm part of this thing called High Tech Ministries. I told you about it. We have a prayer breakfast every year. Now, we have Bible studies. I've started all these Bible studies around town. We have a prayer breakfast every year. At that prayer breakfast, we have 1,600 to 2,000 people, but around 1,600 plus our guys. Biggest challenge we have at the prayer breakfast is getting all of our people that are host members not to invite Christians. <laughs> have these great speakers, we have us, and you know we we actually have four classes a year where you have to come at six thirty in the morning where we teach you how to not invite Christians, okay, and your Christian friends and your church buddies, and we do pretty good. And I would say probably half. Of the, of the people that come, maybe over half, we'd like to say 80%, but I'd say half of the people that, that come don't, don't have a walk with the Lord, right? And we do have, actually, uh, this past year, we had, uh, 12, one full table, uh, of, um, Jewish folks brought by one of our folks. That's an amazing story. One of my good friends is about to become the president of the largest Jewish charity. She is a sold out Christian that mentors for us, and they know it. It's, it. This is going to be one of the most amazing events. If this, she, uh, the What's the American-Israeli conference in Washington, D.C.? She keynoted that last year. First Christian ever. So it's pretty interesting. This year, we had 143 people that said they accepted Christ. We still got a couple of good Baptists on our board, and they want to make sure you play what you did or didn't do, okay? So who knows? You know, because that's just a beginning point. But the point is, I'm going to tell you this, no matter what you've heard, if that's true, that's more than any church you know of in Georgia, including the big one. That is more, okay? 
and all of them are sitting just with their friends, and they hear a message from two business people. That's the way it works, y'all. <laughs> and therefore, we do it, right? Now, in the doing it, all we're doing is telling our story and God's story, and we're becoming a part of their story, and it happens over time, long period of time. This class is, is a much, uh, much higher demographics than others, but frankly, only 5% of Christians, according to Billy Graham's uh, survey, ever are with someone when they accept Christ. We just don't see it as something that we should do. God's all over this, man. He's like, oh no, I want to share. Now this isn't fire insurance. This is make your life better. Remember my story? He's in misery. I had money, a good-looking wife, kids, and a church, and a nice house. On my knees, crying my eyes out in the leather chair, okay, with a couple people that cared enough to bring that to Do you hear what I'm saying? So this isn't, we're not talking about just the homeless and the, we're just talking about we have what people in misery want, right? And we don't have to do much. I'm going to give you another story. And you guys are kind of in this one. I'm going to share a couple. If I got, what do I got, 10 minutes? Is that about right? I'll tell you what. Y'all remember when Billy Graham came? We had the big crusade, and at that time, I don't know if you all know, man, we had a mess with the buses, but at that time, we ended up taking the largest youth group that had ever gone, the largest single youth group that had ever gone to, so I won't say it again, the largest youth group that had uh, ever gone to a Billy Graham crusade, right? At that time in my life, you know, you hit these times where you're drier than other times, and I really worked on that thing. It was not a time where... I was, re- I mean, I was under at work again, and, you know, life was too busy, and uh, I was doing the Lord's work, but, oh, my gosh, I was leaning into the wheel to do it. It wasn't a fresh time. Went to the crusade, too, and when it was over, mine was a different experience. I was like, this bad boy's over, okay? <laughs> you know? And, of course, it was big for a bunch of our youth, etc. Now, this story, here's a spiritual marker. About a week later, I'm driving up I-75 in my car. And I get a phone call, okay, on one of the old cell phones, you know, that's strapped into your car, right? Mm-hmm. So I get a call on my phone. I answer the call because I, I see this number, and I don't want to answer this call. This call is from a guy, Larry Buckland, that I fired twice. <laughs> Shows you how dumb both of us are, okay? So I fired this guy twice, and, of course, now he's a management consultant, okay? So he's out consulting with what he learned out of those two experiences, I guess, okay? And he's on the phone, and he said, Rusty, can I talk to you for a minute? And I said, sure, Larry. And, you know, he talks a lot, and I'm just like, okay. And so I begrudgingly took that call, and Larry said, Rusty, I went to the Billy Graham crusade. I was there the other night, and it was amazing. And he said, I went down front, and I gave my life to Christ. And I was like, seriously, Larry? And he said, yeah. And I went, oh, my goodness, man, I am so excited for you. So now I'm feeling real guilty. <laughs> I mean, seriously, have you ever been there? God, when you start doing it, God uses you when he wants to. And when his people want you, not when it's, it's not about you anymore, right? I'm feeling guilty as I can possibly be. And Larry's on there, and I said, well, that's great, Larry, blah, blah, blah. How can I help? And he said, and typical of him, he's attacked it, right, as soon as he learns. So he's attacked it. He said, well, I've got a real problem. This goes back to theology and weology. 
goes, I've got a real problem. I said, what's that? And he goes, well, I was raised in the Lutheran church, so I went back to the Lutheran church. I went to the Lutheran, I met with the, the uh, is it a priest? Or is it a priest? Yeah, I don't know, a pastor, what a pastor, whatever. And it's a lady. Met with her and blah, 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 blah. And it was really good. And she said, I should get in this Bible study, and that's all cool. And then I went with, a, and then a buddy of mine said, no, please come talk to our pastor. I went to his pastor. He said, a Baptist church. And when I met with the pastor, I told him what done. He said, well, that doesn't work because women can't be pastors, okay, so she led you off the deal, and so then I went to this deal, and I, and all that, and he said, Rusty, I had to call somebody I could trust. He said, you know, I remember read, watching you read your Bible, I remember what you did, and he said, I know you weren't excited to get my call, but I wanted to call somebody. I said, Larry, I don't know what to tell you. These people are all smarter than me. I said, let me tell you what, though, if Jesus called you, and you gave your life, he's got a place for you, right? And if you pursue him, if you will just keep pursuing him in all your conversations, honestly, he'll fix it, okay? So if you feel more comfortable in the in the, the Lutheran, go there. If you're not supposed to be with a lady, Jesus will fix it. If you're, you're strong, we don't get it right all the time, right? But it doesn't mean just because you're a man it's the right place either. So I... You know, you can come to our place. Would you like to come to our church? Which I was hoping he'd say no. And, uh, <laughs> so I'm not sure God was too happy about that. But anyhow, the, the point is, Larry got Larry got straightened out and wound out. Larry reads a really cool Bible study wound out. That's really cool. It's very, very active. A lot of people come and go. But listen to this spiritual marker. It's beyond belief. You shouldn't believe it. But I do, and I never have to go back. So when I hang up the phone, I feel bad because I've been dry. I feel bad because I wasn't prepared. I feel bad because I didn't want Larry's call. And the Lord has done this with me. Of all the people in the world he could have picked, he did with me. And so, guess what? I don't. I actually grew up in a pretty tough environment, so I don't cry. But I do cry talking about my Jesus. And I do cry like that day. Ever since that happened in my office... I cry. I don't cry. You know, I've held the hands of people that, that left us in an unusual situation. And I don't, but I cry. So I'm crying, going up 75 in my car, and I start praying. I say, Lord, I don't know why you want to keep working with me, but if you will keep, if you keep bringing people to me, I will do the best I can you. So I'm crying, right? Now, this is bad. You ever been in a car and you get lost? It's like your mind's out and everything else and stuff. Okay, so I'm sobbing. I've been talking to him. And all of a sudden, I come to my senses. And I had, I mean, I had, I don't even know if I looked at the road for three miles, right? I have no idea. But I'm way up 75, farther, way past my exit. And I am about to run over a guy. I mean, so close, I have to stomp my brakes, and my brakes go, like this, right? Because I'm flying up on top of this guy. I get right up on top of him. It's an old jalopy. It's a fella not from my neighborhood, right? Riding this old jalopy, and you know how they kind of lean into the middle so over here on this deal, okay? And so he is doing that, and he has got a vanity tag on this, you know, 1960-something crankety-crank going up the road. And the vanity tag says, I will. I guess his name was Will. (laughs) I mean, I think his name was Will. They only make one vanity tag like that. I followed that car for 10 miles. It said, I will. 
Y'all, that's a spiritual marker. Some call it a miracle. I don't know what to call it. I just know that God sent a message. When we're in the lives of others, when we submit and we're in the lives of others, he sends markers. I want you all to think as the day goes on, because you guys do so much work, right? And you do so much with folks. And that's God working through. How can we be personal? How do we get the chance to tell them about our Jesus? Let's close in prayer. Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for being in our lives. In particular, Lord, um, thank you for being willing to work with us. It's just an incredible circumstance when you do your work and we're involved. Lord, I know some of the folks in this class, if they were more involved, you'd use me less. As you're looking, Lord, I know you're looking. But I get so excited that you're willing to work around the problems that we have because of the love you have for others. Lord, thank you for this church that allowed me to grow up spiritually in a place that cares and around people that demonstrate that care. Lord, the time's at hand, the time's coming. Give us an outrageous passion for the harvest, Lord, and among all things, be there with us to help cultivate. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you all. Yes, ma'am. We're honored to have you. You guys are great. (laughs) Well, I was thinking about telling stories, and then I was thinking about so many things as we ran through Rusty's presentation with him, but how the grandchildren will roll their eyes when you start to tell them another story about when I was little. (laughs) But, you know, that's part of our job. One time Jim and I were at our daughter Betsy's in Mississippi, and she had a guest for Christmas dinner that was from the seminary there, and he was a pastor from Ethiopia that was in seminary. So after dinner, Jim and I, my Jim, sat down on the hearth at her fireplace simply because it was cold, and we were warm in our backs like we old folks do. So this guy comes, and he just gets on the sofa right in front of us, like this. Well, huh? And he said, in their culture, that when they finish a family meal, that the elders sit down and tell stories to the younger people. And he was so excited, he thought Jim and I were about to tell him stories. (laughs) I guess we could have. But anyway, so many things, and then I thought a faith marker of mine is when I studied the Bible and learned the fruit of the Spirit and tried to live that within my life. So, as you notice, our Bible verses are going to be the fruit of the Spirit for a while, aren't they, George? We're you. So, we're on love right now. And without the fruit of the Spirit, we probably can't do this one. So, without the Spirit of God living within us. But our Bible verse this week was, Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. So, completely humble and gentle and patient. That's not always our easiest thing to do, is it? But we will ask the Spirit to fill us and to live with us this week. So that's Ephesians 4-2. Have a great week.